Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of some team that plays in San Francisco, because evidently some people are not happy that I'm bringing up the team that plays there. And the way that they've been playing recently, there's not going to be much baseball played there this October. Hey, you know, as the Cubs have cemented a spot in the postseason for 2016, and there's been little to no doubt that they were going to be in the playoffs. You know, your pal Sully overthought things and picked the Pirates to win the division because I felt, you know what, they're overlooking them. People are going to overlook this Pirates team and blah, 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 blah. Well, the Cubs are in a strange position right now. The Chicago Cubs, with everything all set and wrapped up and a nice little bow for them, are going to go in with the top record in the National League, barring a cataclysmic collapse, and will face the winner of the wild card game, which may be San Francisco, maybe the Mets, maybe the Cardinals. And unless one of those teams get hot at the right time, they will probably clobber them. The Cubs and their fans are in a situation where they are favored. Now, this is not completely uncharted waters. Uh, In 2008, the Cubs had the best record in the National League that year and had home field advantage throughout the National League playoffs. And they won 97 games that year. And that year, they, let me just, I'm going to go to baseballreference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth. Their 97 and 64 record was five games better, or four and a half games better, than the next best record, which belonged to the Philadelphia Phillies. The Brewers were a wildcard team. The LA Dodgers snuck into the playoffs with an 84 and 78 record, two games ahead of Arizona. And when the Cubs played Los Angeles in the division series, it looked like a sincere mismatch. Unless we forget that Cubs team who rolled into the postseason. And there was a little bit of, hey, it's our turn now. The Red Sox had won a World Series. The White Sox had won a World Series. The Red Sox had won another World Series. And there was, I mean, people forget there was a sense of, okay, now it's the Cubs' year. And they, you know, they got good years out of Derek Lee that year. They got a very good year out of Aramis Ramirez. They got a rejuvenated Jim Edmonds, uh, played half a season with them. And they had um, Carlos Zambrano through a weird no-hitter. They had some depth in their pitching staff. They had Kerry Wood was their closer. I don't know if you remember that. And they, they just went in. There was a sense of, yeah, the best team in the National League are the Cubs. And this is going to be, this is their turn. It's their turn. They had Lou Pinella. 
They had imported a Hall of Fame caliber manager from Tampa Bay to come over and manage the team. All this sound familiar? And do you remember what happened? In game one of that division series, the Cubs were up two bagel in the fifth inning. And I'll never forget game one of the 2008 division series. At the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I was working for a production company called A. Smith Co., Arthur Smith and Company. And there was a lot of TVs on with baseball games because I was there. I was a rabid Red Sox fan. The guy who was my editor was a rabid Dodger fan. One of the head producers there was from Philadelphia, rabid Philadelphia Phillies fan. And my boss, Frank Sinton, one of the best bosses I've ever had and someone who I, I just loved working for, was a rabid Chicago Cubs fan. He had a giant uh, frame in his office of Ernie Banks's jersey. I really hope I haven't told this story already. I've done over 1,400 podcasts, so I hope I'm not doubling up. <clears throat> and he also had a shelf that were filled with bobbleheads. All of them were Cub bobbleheads. Now, I I've talked about this already. Your pal Sully, I don't get bobbleheads. I don't get the appeal of bobbleheads. If they're your thing, fine. I don't crap on people for, for having a thing. I clearly have a thing. If you have a thing, I can't imagine going through life without a thing. We all need things. And if that's your thing, then there's your thing. But it's not a thing that I get. And he had all these bobbleheads of, of Cub players and Sutcliffe and Billy Williams and Ron Santo and Ernie Banks and Fergie Jenkins. The one who was not in a Cub uniform was Mark Grace. And Mark Grace was in a Arizona Diamondback uniform because, as he pointed out, Grace won a ring with the Diamondbacks. And I looked at Frank and said, you are a man in your 50s with children. But hey, we all have our things. And at the time, I was working on a TV show called Full Throttle Saloon, which is a TV show that follows bikers and everything riding around Sturgis, uh, South Dakota. And I was going over some stuff that we had shot. And while I was there, the Dempster was on the mound against Derek Lowe, and it was the fifth inning between the Cubs and the Dodgers, game two. And I said my piece, and I kind of looked over, and I realized I said to him, you're not listening to me, are you? He said, no, no, I'm really not. I said, okay. And so I watched part of the game with him. And in that fifth inning, Wrigley Field was going ape, absolutely ape. And Frank, who's a big Cub fan, as I said, and living in Los Angeles County, was hoping that he would see the Cubs win the first couple of games. And he had tickets for game three of the division series in Los Angeles. And he would be able to go and see them clinch. And in his furthest fantasy, I don't know if you remember who had the best record in terms of the American League in 2008. But that actually belonged to the Angels. So he had this thing in his mind that the Cubs could play the Angels in the World Series and if that should happen, he would go to the clincher in L.A. and in Anaheim. And how happy would he be? So in that fifth inning, the 
Cubs were up 2 nothing, and with two outs and one on, Manny Ramirez, remember when that, this is when he was Manny Wood, he walked. And then Andre Ethier walked. So the bases were loaded, and Jim Loney was up. And with a 1-2 count, Loney swung and missed. And Frank gave this huge fist pump, like, yes! But it turns out that he tipped it. He foul-tipped it. So, okay, they went back. Cubs up 2 nothing, fifth inning. Two outs, two strikes. Dempster pitching, and then Loney cracked a grand slam to straightaway center field. And I'll never forget the sound that Frank Sinton made. The f- sound that Frank Sinton made was, oh no. And it just, it was so distinct. It was, oh no. It wasn't, damn it, it was not dropping an F-bomb. It was a quiet, oh no. As all the bobbleheads looked on him, like the little girls in The Shining, and it was suddenly 4-2. to two. Now, it was 4-2 to two in the fifth inning of the first game of the division series. Nothing to get upset about. Nothing to go bananas over. Except he knew. At that moment, he knew. The thought of the year that the Cubs had, which they had a wonderful year, that they had won back-to-back division titles... But they had gotten swept the year before by Arizona in the division series. And there was a sense that that team was, yeah, they made it to the playoffs, but that was kind of, that's what they were going to do. You know, they they didn't seem like a team that was going to rampage. Now, granted, nobody saw what was going to happen with Colorado. But this was like, okay, this team had gone through the postseason. They had been swept. And now they've been there, done that. Does any of this sound familiar? Been there, done that. And now they're in the postseason. This was their year. And suddenly with that, the Dodgers up 4-2, there was this look on his face like, I've been here before. And Derek Lowe didn't allow a run in the fifth, in the sixth. The bullpen held him in the seventh. Ramirez hit a home run, held the Cubs in the eighth held the Cubs in the ninth. The pitcher who shut the door in game one, Greg Maddox. He was a reliever for the Dodgers then. The very next game, the Dodgers won that one 7-2. to two. The very next game, the Dodgers scored five runs in the second inning. Five. With Blake DeWitt reaching on an error, uh, Fercal got a big hit. Uh, uh, Russell Martin got a bases clearing double. And by the second inning of game two, it was dead. It was dead, dead, dead at Wrigley Field. And they, my dear boss, Frank Sinton, did indeed go to game three of the division series at Dodger Stadium. But the Dodgers scored two in the first, and that was it. It was three to one final. Broxton got the one, two, three inning at the end, and that was that. And he told me his son was crying. Some Dodger fan was trying to say, hey, you had a good year anyway. And he was like, oh, just shut up. Just enjoy your game. 
and that year's Cubs team, which was supposed to be the team that did it, as all these teams, all these franchises were checking off their box. You know, the Red Sox, the White Sox, hell, the Angels won themselves a title. The Cardinals hadn't won in a couple of decades. They, they win a title. All these fan bases win. And the Cubs had, this was, their, this was their year. As it turned out, it turned out to be the Phillies' year. As they, went, as they beat a, uh, um, the Brewers and then faced a, suddenly had home field advantage, and beat the L.A. Dodgers pretty handily in five games. And then, after the Rays got rid of my Red Sox in a bizarre but thrilling series, the Phillies won the World Series, and it was the people of Philadelphia. And another producer friend of mine who was working there got to see his team win. And that became his moment to say, yes, yes. But I'll never forget, oh, no. Oh, no. And he said to me later, Sully, will I ever be happy? That's a rough thing to say. That is a very rough thing to say. And I hope he is happy. He's a father and everything. If I've told that story before, forgive me. But I can't help but think about that as I see the Cubs just absolutely in cruise control heading into the postseason this year. Now, again, there have been Cub fans who have not been happy with me because I very openly said, I don't want to see this Cub team win. Uh, and, it's, and it's because of the image. I have such a fixation of the image of the final out. That's one of my favorite things. Ever since I was a kid, I used to draw that moment. The moment of the final out is something that is seared in my brain as one of those special things in the world as a sports fan. Tug McGraw's arms up there. If you're a Yankee fan, it's Rivera. If you're a Red Sox fan, it's Folk. If you're a White Sox fan, it's Bobby Jenks. If you're a Giant fan, all the three times they won recently, and each time you had a different celebration with the Brian Wilson little arms crossed and then Sergio Romo doing the little dance and then Bumgarner throwing his arms up in the air and hugging his catcher. I mean, that's such a beautiful moment. And I just don't want to see that with a Roldis Chapman. I just don't. And I've made that clear. And that's the main reason I don't want to see the Cubs win. They're looking more and more like they are the team that could steamroll. They are the team that has everything firing. Hell, they lost Kyle Schwarber on, what, the second, third day of the season? And they didn't miss a beat. They've got a crap offensive season out of Jason Hayward. Didn't miss a beat. And you look at their, you know, their rotation. You can make the argument that Kyle Hendricks is their best pitcher. And, you know, he's essentially their number three starter. Lester, Arietta. I mean, any combination you do there is incredible. It's one of the deeper teams that you've seen going into the playoffs, going into the possibly into the World Series. But there have been many teams that look outstanding heading into October. There have been many teams, especially in this area of the wild card, where you say, wait a minute, 
during the regular season, they seemed unstoppable, and yet they were stopped. I mean, the team that I can, the, the, the two years where if I, I would have bet everything, not only the, everything that I owned, everything that I am, my very essence of being alive, I would have put on the table to say the Philadelphia Phillies were going to win the National League pennant in 2010, but especially 2011. That team went 102 and 60. 102 and 60. They still had Utley and Rollins up the middle. They still had Howard was still a home run hitter. They still had an outfield of Ibanez, Victorino, and Hunter Pence. The same Hunter Pence. They still had a rotation of Halliday, Lee, Hamels, Oswalt, and Vance Worley. I mean, who was going to beat them? Certainly not the St. Louis Cardinals, who stumbled into the postseason as a wildcard team only because the Braves were, you know, choked down the stretch. And certainly not the St. Louis Cardinals, when after the Phillies won the first one in a slugfest, 11-6, the Phillies took a 4-0 lead going to the fourth with Cliff Lee on the mound. And then wound up taking a two games to one lead, handing the ball to Roy Oswalt, and certainly not going back and having Roy Halladay throw nine innings, allowing just one run in the clincher. And yet that's what happens. There are very few instances where the team with the best record winds up winning the whole kit and also the caboodle. I mean, the Red Sox and Cardinals were the best teams in their leagues in 2013. But every other year, there are other teams that were better than the ones who are in the World Series. Almost every year. And so, I mean, the hell, I mean, the Cardinals won the World Series with 83 wins. So, I can't help but think about that grand slam by James Loney. I can't help but think about how that put the Cubs on their heels and suddenly this postseason that everyone thought was going to be the Cubs' year was over so quickly that I bet most people forgot the Cubs were even in it that year. When you get swept in the division series, boy, oh boy, you are forgotten quickly. People don't sit back and remember that unless you're a rabid fan of the team. You don't remember. And there have been some wonderful, wonderful, lovable, likable, just terrific teams that have been swept in the division series. The 95 Red Sox were a team I really, really cheered for. Same for the 97 San Francisco Giants. Boom, bye, bye-bye, gone. You know, I mean, you had the Chicago White Sox had the best record in the American League at a home field advantage through the World Series, swept by the Mariners. I bet you forgot they even played in it. The Houston Astros had home field advantage throughout the postseason, including the World Series in 2001, swept by the Braves. Bet you forgot they were even there. Bet you forgot they even showed up. 
The Minnesota Twins had one of the best stretches down the down the way that you could remember, winning the division on the final game with a team loaded with stars in their prime. Swept by the A's. Bye-bye. Adios. No reason to stop here anymore. You're gone. And so I take a look at this Cubs team. Everything, and I mean everything, is pointed to them winning their first pennant since 1945 and their first World Series title since 1908. They are the team to beat, which is a strange place to be if you're a Cub fan. And yet, I hear Frank's voice. Oh no. Oh no. Who would be the James Loney of this year? Maybe there won't be. Maybe this is their turn. I'm just saying, I've seen this script before. It wasn't that long ago. So, we'll see. There's only the, This could look prescient or really stupid. Kind of like my pick of the Pirates at the beginning of the year. So anyway, Cub fans, throw tomatoes at me all you want. Uh, go to... SullyBaseball.com. Check the up-to-date listings of who owns baseball on MLBReports.com. And hey, Chuck Booth, the great guy who created MLB Reports and has helped put a platform for this podcast and for who owns baseball, get well, buddy. Get well. You can check me out on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Courting the ire of Cub fans. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.